what I'm going to do is share some of my story. Well, it was a wild and crazy weekend that October in 1987. Friday morning, my youngest daughter, Joni, asked if she could go pick up her boyfriend because he had missed his ride to school. I said, absolutely not. He lived on Kiowa Island. We lived West Ashley, and she would be late to school. Well, before I knew what was happening, she'd grabbed the keys, run out the door, and had left. Mid-morning, I received a call from First Baptist Charleston, where they were both seniors, that they'd not shown up at school at all. And there was a good possibility, because of the truancy and other incidents of unwise behavior, that they would be kicked out. I was sitting in my office at the College of Charleston, and I remember well the phone call I made after that. It was to my other daughter, Julie, who was a sophomore at Converse College. She had planned to come home that day so that the, for the weekend so we could celebrate my birthday. I told her I really wanted her to come home, but that I would need her support as I disciplined her sister for her blatant disobedience. She answered rather simply, I'd rather stay at school. <laughs> well, I did not see Joni until the next day, so she was missing a whole day and a half that evening. So after this tumultuous weekend, I was jolted awake when the phone rang about around 3 a.m. When I answered, I heard these words. Mrs. Hamilton, there's been an accident involving the Converse basketball team. Julie has been killed. <laughs> She's at Cherokee Memorial Hospital in Gaffney. Her body's at Cherokee Memorial Hospital in Gaffney, South Carolina. Well, I just sat there on my bed for a long time. I didn't even cry or scream. I just sat there. My husband had died suddenly less than three years before this, and now they were telling me that my Julie was dead. When I was able to function, I called a friend, and she said she would call Buster and be right over. Then I went into Joni's room to tell her that her sister and best friend had been killed. As I entered, <clears throat> I observed her walls painted with black, satanic-like figures and her black clothes she had worn exclusively since Father's Day, strewn all over the floor along with school books and garbage. When I awoke her and told her, she did the screaming and yelled, No, not again! Immediately, she wanted to get in her car and ride. She was on restriction, but I let her go. It was an awful time. So my husband was dead, my Julie had just been killed, and my only other child was driving around at 4 a.m., and I did not know if she would get home safely. My topic today is that our God promises that he is sovereign over all things, including evil and our own choices, and remains in complete control. Nothing is random or takes him by surprise. As Buster, my friend, and I waited for morning, she reminded me of Psalm 3311. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. We knew he would show us what to do next. The sun did come up that morning, and Joni got home safely. She told me years later that she had gone to a playground on East Bay Street. She sat on a swing, and she said to God, you must really hate me. 
I also learned that Julie and Joni had had a long phone conversation the night before the accident, and they had both ended the call with, I love you, not something that they usually did. And as for me, I never felt badly about the last words I heard Julie say, as I knew that our relationship was built on mutual love. I began to hear the particulars of the accident little by little. The team had played well in North Carolina, and they had had mechanical trouble with their bus on the trip back to Spartanburg. The bus had stalled again on I-85, and just before the impact came, Julie, a follower of Jesus, had switched places with her friend Cindy, who was not a believer. Julie made a choice to sit beside the window so she could rest her head there. Julie died, and Cindy lived and received relatively minor injuries. The man driving the 18-wheeler, who also died, had a million miles of perfect driving, but he did not see the bus on the side of the road. There were no drugs or alcohol involved. Was the moment of the collision a random act that took God by surprise? No. He allowed this deadly night for his purposes and ultimately for his glory. God was graciously sovereign over a choice I made when the funeral home wanted, to pick out, wanted me to pick out clothes for Julie. Well, I was having a clothes casket like I did for my husband, and because I'm a visual person, I did not want to have my last memories of them dead. I wanted it to be alive. And I was fuming mad that I had to pick out clothes for another dead family member, so I refused. I just refused to give them clothes for her. Later, I, it did bother me at times, but I, was consol I consoled myself that she truly was dressed in Jesus' righteousness. That choice led to a lovely gift 20 years later. And it was um, when I had attended a convocation at Converse where the basketball team who'd been in the accident was being honored and those who, who died were being honored. As I waited for the program to begin, a sweet lady who had worked at the college in housekeeping asked several of us waiting, whose daughter was it that she had been asked to pick out clothes for? And y'all, it didn't even register with me until hours later well after the program, that it was my Julie she had tenderly chosen burial clothes for. To me, that was his glory on display, his tender mercies to this mama. Another mercy at that 20-year gathering was spending time with Cindy, the one Julie had switched places with. After years of running away from the father, the hound of heaven had transformed this precious one's life. She expressed to me the obvious, the Lord loved her exponentially by sparing her life the night of the accident. Ladies, I prayed for Cindy's salvation for many years, so never, ever lose heart as you pray. And that's a gift to my heart, too, that Cindy belongs to him. Now back to the day of Julie's death. I remembered that Julie had been asked by her English professor that spring to write a theme addressing this topic. If you had one message to give to mankind, what would it be? She wrote that her message was to die to oneself and live for Christ. Um, if we die to ourselves, our lives fall into place. Things which we thought contained that satisfaction, we all are seeking become exposed as the transparent, flimsy, perishable nothingness, which they indeed are. Die to yourself and be free, wise to the world, and a child of the Most High. 
Lester used this message of hope at her funeral, and I am blessed to have a written statement of her faith in Jesus that most parents of teenagers who die in accidents do not have. God was sovereign over Julie, being in that English class with that professor who assigned the theme topic. The seemingly random choice of the professor and Julie's response are examples of his complete control over all things. The grief was awful, but I was detained by the prayers of the brethren, some of you, and by knowing enough of God's character as taught in his word to not despair, as I mourned. The immediate pain was eased by the fact that she was supposed to be at school and not supposed to be at, at home. Some of you know how the mind works in the grieving process. However, I was asked to come to the last game four months after the accident. Girls who had played basketball in high school, many believers and leaders on the campus came together to fill the empty spots of the two who died and the two who were most severely injured. God used these students to make the life of Jesus evident to those on the team who were in desperate need of healing. After the game, I was invited to join the girls and their parents for a meal. Then the reality of her death, her death hit me like a ton of bricks because all the parents there had a daughter with them. Not sure how I drove home, but I felt like a knife was lodged in my chest. The pain was so severe. Some of you can relate to this type of pain. Several days later, I asked the Lord, am I always going to have this pain in my heart? And at that moment, I heard the fourth verse of a mighty fortress is our God on my car radio. These were the words sung, let goods and kindred go. Now, I did not let her go, but my father, in answer to my desperate plea, lifted that pain, and it was never the same. I still cried. I still saw girls on campus from the back who looked like her, and I ached. I still missed her terribly, but the intense, cannot even breathe pain was gone. He was once again putting his glory on display. This was a miracle of huge proportion. Four months after Julie's death, he came to me and healed me supernaturally. I have no idea why he would be so gracious, except that he promises to give good gifts to his children. As I wrote this talk and contemplated God's limitless grace to me at that moment, I was reminded of Psalm 50, 14, and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Though as I asked him if I would always have that pain in my heart, I was not knowingly offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving in Julie's death, but I was acknowledging him as sovereign, therefore performing my vows to the Most High. I sure was calling on him in that day of trouble. And what does he promise in the last part of the verse of verse 15? I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That is a promise that I had never even thought of in relation to his gift of healing that he gave me that day until I began preparing for today. My relationship with Joni went from bad to worse. She did stay in school and graduate from First Baptist, but continued to stuff down her intense pain 
with anything she could get her hands on. I was a huge part of her pain with the choices that I was making. Let me explain. God himself is omnipresent, so he cares for all people and is with all his children in all places. I ignored this truth, thinking I must be there to help others when he can manage their lives perfectly well. My great arrogance was a huge detriment to the lives of others, to my beloved daughter, and to myself. You see, I had an intense desire to please, and my choices during these dark years were evil. I refer to myself as a wacko. Now, there's no question about it. I am truly a wacko, if only you knew. And yet, I can look back now and see that he was still in complete control of my choices, even my evil ones. You see, I was desperate and in despair when I knew I had to find help. He led me to an Al-Anon group of parents. They all had a child who was addicted, and we met weekly to learn how to hate the sin but love the sinner. What sustained me? His word. Psalm 119.92 says, If your law had not been my delight, and that means our supreme satisfaction, I would have perished in my afflictions. I knew his character, and even in my pain, hurt, and grief, that I could trust him. People would try to tell me that he could not have allowed that horrible accident or Joni's addictions. For me, it was much worse to think that he had turned his back at those hard, severe circumstances that had nothing to do with them. The truck, Joni's choices. I like what John Calvin says. He says, in Jesus, mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness all misfortune. What a Jesus we have. And this is true, ladies. Though I could not have recognized this at the time, I knew he was directing me to share in his sufferings in a hard, hard obedience. Deep within me, I knew I had to tell Joni that because of her lifestyle, I could not support her anymore. This confrontation came two years to the day after Julie died. Though this suffering for me was minuscule, minuscule, minuscule in comparison to Jesus' suffering as he drank my cup and yours of what we deserve, the Father's angry, fierce, indignant, exhausted wrath had to go on him, taking our judgment, our divine abandonment, and our darkness all on him as the Father did turn his back on his Son, as he will not allow sin evil, and rebellion to remain in his presence. And that's what was on Jesus at the cross. And then for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame of it, abandoned by his Father, so that the Father could instead lavish on you and me his love, which he wanted to do from the very beginning, his mercy and grace, his divine acceptance, and his true light, his divine acceptance like we've never sinned and always obeyed, like was prayed this morning. The resurrection, then, is the Father's amen to Jesus. It is finished. There were profuse sobs and heart-wrenching pain as I released my Joni to the Father. We met weekly in a public place. Several times she would not show up. But I was learning from my father through my Al-Anon group that I did not have to go crazy trying to track her down 
or to be in the pit for days on end because of her not coming. Um, Hebrews 12, 10, and 11 says, We suffer as he disciplines us for holiness. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord knew how he would use this severe mercy in Joni's life as well as mine to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Only 18 months later, and that's not very long for someone who's addicted, Joni asked for help and checked herself into a rehab hospital. And from that day until now, he has faithfully kept his promise to be sovereign over evil and our choices and to let us both live out genuine faith. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6-7. It's on the middle of the second page of your handout. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let us look more closely at what Peter writes. Though now for a little while, well, to us it never seems like a little while, does it? If necessary, I can see clearly how this was necessary for me and for Joni as he carried out his plan for our lives. Will you agree with me that he always promises to know what he is doing and how his plan is ultimately for our good? Peter goes on to answer why we suffer in everyday frustrations, that's a suffering, as well as in huge devastations when he says, so that the tested genuineness of our faith, our faith is tested by our Lord because your faith and mine is dear to his heart. And he desires that my puny faith and your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does he make a promise and not fulfill it? Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? We can thank him that he never makes a promise that he will not fulfill. In Joshua, we are told that not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel and to us had failed. All came to pass. It blows my mind that he values our faith in him and his promises that much. Now look at the first part of this First Peter verse. It begins with, in this you rejoice. We can surely rejoice that our suffering here is minuscule compared to the hope of glory we have in eternity. And I can rejoice here on earth on the gift of my daughter and her relationship with Jesus and with her mama. It's so sweet. You see, all the Old Testament promises were meant to point forward to Christ to the one who would live a perfect life and die a substitutionary death in our place. 
Jesus is God himself who created all that there is. He is our rock, and we can thank him that his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. His words are the right words for you and me. These are his promises. His ways are the right ways for you and me, even in our choices or those of others, even in the evil he allows in our, into our lives. He will be faithful to us because he does no wrong, and he's always right. John Piper writes this about how God governs Satan's every move. He asks, is there a power outside God that limits his rule over Satan and his demons? Piper's conclusion is that from cover to cover, the Bible presents God as governing Satan and his demons. He has the right and power to restrain them anytime he pleases. He holds sway over their wills. He commands the evil spirit, and they obey. Piper says that from his study of Scripture, he has no reason to think otherwise. He concludes, therefore, that God permitted Satan's fall not because he was able to, unable to stop it, but because he had a purpose for it. Since God is never taken off guard, his permissions are always purposeful. If he chooses to permit something, he does so for a reason, an infinitely wise reason, because he is infinitely wise. This is from Piper's book entitled Spectacular Sins, and their global purpose and the glory of Christ, and I highly recommend it. The evil of the crucifixion, the horror, as well as God's power over the enemy, just think of it, all that went up, what was happening there at the time of the crucifixion. And we would, if we'd been there, we would have been spitting and mocking and making fun of Jesus just like everybody else. Um, but Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus brought peace by the blood of the cross peace with God that only he could accomplish. He promised this from the beginning. In Psalm 41, David wrote this because he looked to the cross. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Therefore, we can thank God that no matter how many promises he has made, they are all yes. That is, his promises are kept in Christ. And as we believe them, as we believe them, ladies, we bring glory to him. Another gift to me in preparing this talk, thank you, Rose, <laughs> is this. God has faithfully taught me the gift of praise, thanksgiving as a sacrifice that acknowledges that I am believing his promises for me. Psalm 50, verse 23 is just one verse that speaks of this truth. There are many more, both in the Old and New Testament, that I do not have time to mention, but I trust you will ask him to teach you this way of believing him and his promises if you don't know it. I guarantee he will be delighted to do this for you. So Psalm 50, 23 is on your handout. It's the bottom of page 3, if you haven't found it. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. John Piper writes the following, Every millisecond of our pain, 
from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of our misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory we will get because of that. As I make thanksgiving, praise, a sacrifice, I am saying to him that I am not in control because he is. I am saying that I will trust him and not the mess that I am in. I am saying that my current crisis is not a surprise to him. He has given me daily opportunities to bring him the sacrifice of praise. Now, thanksgiving for my fears, for my failures, thanksgiving for my small and huge devastating circumstances. Now, I know that I am telling him with this act of my will, and you don't don't have to feel thankful, that's not required, it's just an act of your will that you thank him, that I believe he is faithful and his promises are true. I'd never thought about that. Can you imagine? He says that this glorifies him. This brings him great honor. That's what glorify means. It means bringing him great honor. This truth shows me the salvation of God, a gift to live in a way that is peaceful. I encourage you ladies to ask him to show you scripture in which thanksgiving in the hard times is revealed and practice this way of life. As I close, I want to relate a recent incident that the father used to bring more healing to my Joni. Her uncle Mike, my sister's husband, who walked Joni down the aisle, was dying of heart failure in the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio just three weeks ago. Joni, her husband, and three children live in Montana, and through a bizarre set of circumstances that were choices and evil involved, all kinds of crazy things, our God orchestrated that she travel to Cleveland. Sanctification is a process of holiness and healing in our lives, and God is in his infinite love for my Joni was faithfully about fulfilling this promise. Joni was the first extended family member to arrive to walk through this painful process with, those, with these loved ones. She told me later that since Julie's death, she has been petrified about even coming close to dying family members. Now she was facing it head on. He was graciously telling her that he would keep his promise to her to be her refuge and her strength and ever-present help in trouble. He walked her through supporting her aunt and cousins as they made the hard decision, decision to take her beloved uncle off support. She prayed and loved and comforted well in his strength until the rest of the extended family could arrive. It was a long 36 hours of heart-wrenching pain. In the days to follow, Joni served my sister and me in untold ways. In the planning of, of her Uncle Mike's service, my sister asked her to speak for the family. She again prayed for his direction, and he showed her exactly how to prepare and deliver a loving remembrance. God promises this, the rest of Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And pray with me. Father, I thank you for getting for you asking me to do this today. And I thank you for everyone, many, many here that have prayed for me as you directed me in my preparation and showed me what you would have me say. I thank you for what you taught me 
And even my sister, as I was able to go over this with her before I came back from being with her, I thank you for that. I thank you that all your promises are yes in Jesus. And I thank you for the loved ones in this room that you will um, touch hearts, that you will show them a little more of your sovereignty and how you are so faithful and you keep your promises. I thank you for that. And to these dear ones also, I want to pray from Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And in your glorious name we pray this morning. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.